You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Is God knocking on the door of your heart in any way? Has he visited you? Has he asked to have a place in your life? Before you tell him no, I'm going to tell you he stands in our lives at crossroads. When there's a fork in the road, he stands there. If you walk away from me, there is only destruction. Think about the stunning 100% accuracy of Jesus' prediction. 70 years after his crucifixion, it came to pass something impossible. In your walk with Jesus, when was the last time you were visited by him? Have you ever had a moment of hearing God speak to you? Today in his message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that if you want to conquer the impossible in your life and go even deeper in your faith, you need to be on the lookout for encounters with Jesus. Whether it's happened to you before or not, God is always knocking at your door. Let him inside and experience the purpose-driven life that has been prepared for you. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Mark, chapter 13, as he begins his message, Jesus, the prophet. Journey with Jesus through Mark, and I'm going to talk about Jesus, the greatest prophet of all. Now, where we're diving in is Mark 13, and the whole chapter is uh, prophetic. It's Jesus dealing with two questions that we're going to be looking at in just a moment. But let me just give you a little bit of a feel of context. What do I always tell you about context? A text without a context is a pretext. So much of Bible interpretation is very, very important that you observe context. It's understood in context, or you can really misapply it, misunderstand it, misteach it, and all kinds of problems come. So here's the context. It's Tuesday evening after the first Palm Sunday. It is, it is a few days before Jesus' crucifixion on Friday. It's Tuesday before Friday. And Jesus, the greatest prophet of all, has made sweeping predictions about the future of our world. And it's amazing. Now, very important when you study prophecy, especially Mark 13, and the parallel, if, if we're going to be dealing with the, the synoptic gospels, okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, very important you understand Mark 13 and Matthew 24 are the same thing. Just Mark 13 focuses on some some, uh, different issues, some of the same issues, but Mark and Matthew in chapter 24 are relaying uh, the same message. Remember that Mark was told by Simon Peter what he wrote down. And that's what gives the gospel of Mark what we call apostolic authority. It has apostolic authority Because Simon Peter, an apostle, one of the 12, gave to Mark what he wrote down. So when you're looking at Bible prophecy like Mark 13 or Matthew 24, it's important to understand that there is a blend of short-term and long-term prophecy. It's two-pronged. What Jesus talks about is not just things that are going to be happening to those listening to him, but things that are going to be happening to us way later, generations and ages later. So it's important to try to pick out which is which, which was short range and which was long range. Well, it's easy to find the short range because guess what? The short range happened, okay? So 
Let's look at some of the highlights of Mark 13, and I'm going to point out to you what was short range and some of the things that are long range. Now, the first thing that happens is Jesus is dealing with the destruction of the temple and everything that means. Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. Now, uh, it says that as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, do you see what manner of stones and what buildings are here? And Jesus answered and said to him, now this is like the Lord. He just turns right around and says something that blew their minds. Look what he says. You see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. That's like me telling you tomorrow the Pentagon and the White House will be gone. Now the disciples seem like tourists amazed at the sights of the city of Jerusalem. In Mark 13, Jesus is walking out of the temple for the last time. And so here's the disciples. They, said they had good reason to be amazed at the temple. This is why they looked at him and said, do you see this, Lord? Because the temple compound, as remodeled by Herod the Great, was one of the most magnificent structures of the ancient world. The Jewish people were justifiably proud of this great building. The temple was originally rebuilt by Zerubbabel. Everybody say Zerubbabel. I heard a guy on the radio one time. He couldn't get past it. Zerubbabel, but Zer, let me try again. Zerubbabel, and he said, oh, forget it. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Only on AM radio. Now, the temple was originally rebuilt by Zerubbabel and Ezra when they got released from Babylonian captivity. They began to rebuild the temple but it was greatly expanded by Herod, Herod the Great. It was the center of Jewish life for almost a thousand years, so much so that it was customary to swear by the temple. Remember when Jesus said in Matthew 23, 16, don't swear by the temple. That's how revered this building was. And you were not to speak against the temple or it was considered blasphemy. And you read about that in Acts 6, 13. You couldn't even say anything against it. Blasphemy. That's how sacred, how holy, how revered a building was. Now, after Herod's work, the temple was huge. Give you an idea, it was nearly 500 yards long, 400 yards wide. Herod's rebuilding started in 19 BC, 19 years before Jesus showed up, and was not completed until 63 AD taking more than 80 years. Now, that's a building program I don't ever want to be in. Okay? Temple compound was finished. Think about this. You work 80 years on it, and seven years after you're done, it's destroyed. Now, let me just show you the beauty of the temple. The beauty of the ancient temple is very well documented. The Jewish historian Josephus says it was covered on the outside with gold plates. Think about that. They were so brilliant that when the sun shone on them, it blinded observers. Can you imagine a building? The outside is covered in gold plates. What do you do with thieves if we can't even keep hold of copper? When we were finishing this sanctuary, we had to put all the copper way up there on the ceiling and store it up there, long copper pipes to keep it way up there where nobody could get to it really something. But this, this structure, this temple was magnificent. Uh, 
where there wasn't gold, there were blocks of marble of such a pure white, pure white marble that strangers from a distance thought there was snow on the temple. Beautiful thing, white and gold. The comment of the disciples, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here is understandable given the massive stones Herod used in building the temple. Today, you can see one as a tourist, some of these massive stones, ones used that were used uh, to build merely the retaining wall for the temple compound. And how big were they? They're so big, some 50 feet wide, 25 feet high, 15 feet deep, that modern construction cranes could not lift them. How did they do it? It's one of the mysteries of history. Archaeologists are still not completely certain how these stones were cut, transported, and placed with such precision they didn't even need mortar. How'd they do it? It's a mystery of history. Amen? As great as the temple was, Jesus never hesitated to claim that he was greater than the temple. And that's why they wanted to pick up rocks and stone him, because he said he was greater than the temple. For man... Jews of that day, the temple had become an idol, an idol. It subtly began to mean more to the people than God himself meant. They began to worship this building. They began to revere this building more than God. The temple was a good thing, but let me tell you something about God. Good things can become the worst idols. Good things can become the worst idols. Just because it's good doesn't mean it needs to take the place of God. And you know what God will do with something that comes and becomes an idol in your life? He'll make it sour to you. He'll, he'll sour it to you. He'll sour even good things if we allow good things to become our idols. God is in the habit of destroying our idols. So that's why I tell you, keep a loose grip on the things of this earth. Appreciate what God gives you and thank God for what he gives you, but don't worship what he gives you because he'll sour that thing. Because he alone is worthy to be praised, amen? Now Jesus predicted that not one stone of this magnificent structure, these giant stones, don't you know when he said this, not one stone's gonna be left on another? They said, Lord, we don't even know how they carry these stones and put them together. How in the world is anybody gonna tear this thing down? Stones that large. But Jesus said, not one would be left standing, they'd all be thrown down. Jesus, the greatest prophet of all, 40 years after Jesus said this, there was a widespread Jewish revolution against the Romans in Palestine, and the rebels enjoyed many early successes, but ultimately, Rome crushed the Jews. Jerusalem was leveled, including the temple, just like Jesus said. Now, remember when Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Therefore, you're headed for certain destruction. You're going to see a crash. They did not receive Jesus, the Messiah. John records he came to his own, but his own, that is the Jew, did not receive him. Now, folks, it's a serious thing when God visits your life and you don't receive the visitation. Now, it was major, major when they did this with Jesus because he was the the long-awaited Messiah. But look what happened to them when they turned the visitation of God away. See, when God visits you and me, we either receive it and we let him bless us and we bow to it and we thank him for it 
or we walk away from that visitation. And when we walk away from the visitation, all that can wait for you is negative. It's not good. And that's why America has to wake up. Because God has visited America over and over again. I'm not going to harp on this because we're going to look at what happened to Jerusalem. Here's Jerusalem, the holy city, where the holy temple was, where all the sacrifices were performed. And yet Jesus said, because you did not know or recognize the hour of your visitation, the temple is coming down. And he said, you're going to be scattered to the four corners of the world. Now, the Jewish people, 40 years after Jesus had said this, a war took place between the Romans and the Jews. The Jews were decimated, totally wiped out. And the ones that managed to escape were scattered to the four corners of the earth. And they knew not a homeland again until 1948. 20 centuries of dispersion, 20 centuries gone because they knew not the hour of their visitation. And Jesus said to them, this temple, the glory of this city, everything you're putting your trust and your faith in that is of this world, it's all gonna come down. It is said by some historians that at the fall of Jerusalem, the last surviving Jews of the city fled to the temple because it was the strongest, most secure building in the city. Roman soldiers surrounded it, and one drunken soldier started a fire that soon engulfed the whole building. The beautiful gold detail work in the roof melted down in the cracks between the stone walls of the temple, and to retrieve the gold, the Roman commander ordered the temple be dismantled stone by stone. Jesus had long been gone, but the greatest prophet of all said it's all coming down. The destruction was so complete that today they have true difficulty learning exactly where the temple was. The Jewish historian Josephus writes about this tragedy and he says, quote, now as soon as the army had no more people to kill or plunder, Caesar gave orders that they should now demolish the entire city and temple. And this was the end which Jerusalem came to. And folks, it had been so different if they had received the time of their visitation. Is God knocking on the door of your heart in any way? Has he visited you? Has he asked to have a place in your life? Before you tell him no, I'm going to tell you, he stands at our lives at crossroads. When there's a fork in the road, he stands there. If you walk away from me, there is only destruction. Think about the stunning 100% accuracy of Jesus' prediction. 70 years after his crucifixion, it came to pass something impossible. These huge stones, this magnificent temple, all brought down and not one stone left standing on another, just like he said. The literal fulfillment of this prophecy establishes the tone for the rest of the prophecies in the chapter. We ought to expect a literal fulfillment, amen? If this happened just like he said, exactly, where not one stone was left on another, of this huge edifice, then what about the rest of what he said? Can you say that we're, we're pretty wise to say, well, he knew what he was doing when it came to prophecy. And whatever he said in the rest of the chapter, we need to take a hard look at it. Can you agree with me on that one, church? Now, Jesus' prediction brings two questions to the minds of his disciples. They heard him say this and they said, really? The first thing that they wanted to know, it says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, quote, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign 
when all these things will be fulfilled? Now, tell us, when will these things be? When, when is this going to happen, Lord? The first question on their minds was concerning the timing, the timing of the destruction of the temple. Jesus said it would be destroyed, and they wanted to know when. Mark does not record Jesus' answer to the first question, but if you want to find it, Luke does in Luke 21, 8 through 23. But I'm not teaching Luke, I'm teaching Mark. So let's move on. And let's see what the sign, when all these things will be fulfilled. What about the sign? What will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? The second question is answered in Mark, in the remainder of Mark 13. Now, I think the reason they wanted to know this is because as soon as he said the temple is going to be destroyed, their minds shot back to when the first temple, Solomon's temple, was destroyed. And they were taken off to Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And Jeremiah writes about it in the book of Lamentations. And he says, I saw them going by in chains. I wept tears like a crocodile. I cried and wept and my heart was broken as God's chosen people were carried off to a strange land wherein, uh, or whereof David wrote when he said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? He was in Babylon. And they were taken off to captivity and the temple was destroyed. And they shot back to that and said, oh no, are you saying that something terrible is going to happen to the Jewish people again? Then Jesus then gives the flow of history until his return. Now he's going long range and he's going to tell us what's coming in the future. In verses 5 through 8 of Mark 13, Jesus describes general world conditions during the period between his ascension and the time immediately preceding his second coming. So this matters to you and to me. Jesus answering them began to say, take heed that nobody deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, that is Messiah, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famine and troubles. These are what, everybody? Just the beginning, the beginning of sorrows. The Greek uh, suggests the beginning of birth pangs. These are just the beginning. Now let's just take it. Take heed that nobody deceives you. We all know that Jesus predicted in the last days and when were the last days, by the way? When did they begin? They began when he rose from the dead. Well, I thought we were in the last days. We're in the last of the last days. But the last days began when Jesus rose from the dead. He said, this is what it's going to look like from my resurrection to my return. These general signs are going to mark this world, and this world will never be free of these things that I'm about to tell you. Take heed that nobody deceives you. There's going to be a lot of people coming along saying, I'm the Messiah. You're going to be inundated with false messiahs who come in his name. They pretend to be Jesus or representatives of Jesus, but will not be true representatives of Jesus at all. The sheep's clothing they wear is saying, I'm from Jesus. That's the sheep's clothing. But inside, they are ravenous wolves looking to deceive and devour. And our age, the last of the last days, we've got more than our share of false messiahs. They're everywhere. The latest one, 
Uh, he's a fellow, I can't remember his name. That's a good thing. I wouldn't want to say it on radio. But uh, he's out there and he just goes out to his group. I saw him uh, on TV just recently. Uh, one of the, I think it was Dateline, went and did a show on him. And he goes right out in front of his people in, in hotel lobbies that he's rented. And he says, I'm Jesus. And they, woo! He says, bring me your money. And they bring watches down, gold watches. They bring money. They bring jewelry. They bring all of it. He says, I've, I'm Jesus. I've got a word from God. Here's the latest word from God. Funny thing, they ran a check on his name. Jesus has been arrested in the past. But that didn't bother his followers. Must have been a persecution. Arrested. But they believe him. And, and he's got thousands of followers. Jesus said they'll be everywhere. And then he said wars and rumors of wars. Jesus reminds us that before he returns, there will be many wars, threats of war on the earth, in troubled times. Many people assume the end of the age is near because it's a troubled time. But just because it's troubled times doesn't mean we've reached the end. Now follow me. These are only birth pangs. These are only general signs. Jesus said that wars and rumors of wars are not indicative of the end, but they are symptomatic of the human race between the resurrection and the return. You know, if you study history at all, the study of man is the study of war. It's just the study of war, never-ending war. You can go all the way back to the earliest civilizations. They warred. They're warring now. They warred in ancient Greece. They warred in Rome. They've warred the whole time we've been on this planet. And Jesus said, when you hear of wars, terrible wars, cataclysmic wars, world wars, that's symptomatic of the times, but it's not indicative of the end. There's one sign for certain that tells you the end is near, at the door. And I'm going to cover that in just a minute. Such things must happen, but the end is not yet. Things like false messiahs, wars, famines, earthquakes have marked man's history uh, since the time of Jesus' ascension. In effect, Jesus is saying catastrophes are going to happen. But these do not signal the end. So let's move on. It's plain that Jesus intended his followers to endure through such times. Now I'm going to talk to you about enduring just for a second. He's saying don't let troubled times shake your faith. That's what he's saying. Don't let it shake your faith. Don't let it rattle you where your faith in God is questioned. Would a war, a famine, an earthquake, or some other catastrophe shake your faith? I'm going to tell you something, folks. I've heard newscasts recently of people that went through earthquakes or some catastrophe, and they're looking up and they're saying, I don't believe in God anymore. Where was God? Jesus said, don't let natural catastrophes shake your faith. He said, because they're going to be there. War. Our friend here going off to Iraq. Jesus knew that was coming. Don't let that war shake your faith. I love the verse where it says, the Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. You got to just know that though it looks like things are out of control, providence is always in control. 
So don't let these things shake your faith. Jesus said, because this is just the beginning of sorrows. As the world deteriorates year after year, do you know where you're headed? When the things of this world fade away, do you know what's next? In today's message from Pastor Jeff, we learned the importance of staying true to the promises of God. No matter how perfect or tempting the things of this world may seem, it'll never satisfy like God will. Invest in eternity and claim your stake in His kingdom. He wants nothing more than to dwell with you forever. Here's Diane with some more info about Hardwired. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard today, we'd like to know. You can call or text us at the following number and share your thoughts. That number to text is 817-484-4767. Once again, that's 817-484-4767. Thanks for being a part of this ministry and helping it continue to be an encouraging and uplifting resource for you and others. Now I'll hand it back to Daniel as he gives a preview of what's next. When you head into troubled waters, where do you turn? When problems arise or things aren't going your way, how do you respond? In the next teaching from Pastor Jeff, he wants to show you how important it is to be ready for the things of this world to disappear. Our world as we know it won't last forever. Do you know your place in eternity? Make the commitment to something that lasts and accept God's grace. He's always had you on His heart and mind. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwire with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the book of Mark next time on Hardwired.